today on Ag News Daily. The way the corn market is structured with still some small carry, as far as the eye can see, it's a more manageable, it's more sustainable type of bullish market structure than this short-term inverted market that we see in soybean. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy hashtag Market Monday and also Columbus Day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr today. Ashton, I don't think Columbus Day is a holiday you get off from school, is it? No, I I am still, I still had classes today, but my younger sisters who are in elementary school, they got off today. I think it was just a teacher work day. Really don't think it had anything to do with Columbus Day. But lucky for them, they had the day off. But unfortunately, I did have to go to class today. Well, the government, the federal government, uh, takes this day as a holiday as well. So it's a little bit of a shorter news day today, other than the fact that the markets had quite the day today, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit with Darren Newsom. But, you know, I wanted to run through some quick things here um, ahead of talking markets with Darren. If you don't mind, Ashton, I'll just jump right in here. Yeah, go ahead. So I think these are a couple of factors that have been playing into the markets as of late. And Darren's going to talk about this a little bit later, but the funds have been really throwing their weight around in the markets, especially in the corn and soybean side of things. We have seen as of Friday, uh, the funds were net sellers of about 2000 contracts of soft red winter wheat. We saw them net buy 40,000 corn contracts and 15,000 soybean contracts. And so they, we now see uh, estimated managed money sitting about 184,000 long corn and about net long of 258,000 soybeans. So that's a pretty substantial number there to be net long in the soybean side of things. We also saw that farmers who participated in the U.S. crop subsidy programs reported that prevent plantings as of October 1st came in at about 6.177 million acres, up just slightly from a month prior. And uh, so, you know, not a huge increase there, but that was also definitely weighing into the markets today, as well as some news that uh, Brazil has gotten some rain. And so that's been supportive for, of course, their crops that are being put in right now at the moment. So just a few factors. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. One of the other factors that you asked Darren about also, Delaney, was Hurricane Delta. And the head of the Soy Transportation Coalition says that the ports of New Orleans are resuming normal operations after Hurricane Delta skirted off to the west on Friday. And, you know, it's just reported that New Orleans ports escaped big damages once again after this is the third hurricane that hit the Gulf this season. And a quote here from Mike Steenhoek, who is the head of the Soy Transportation Coalition, says that the concentration of export facilities along the lower Mississippi River really appeared to escape any kind of substantial damage. So from an ag logistics perspective, it looks like things are back to resuming operations, which is a very good thing. And Stoneheck also adds that with large Chinese purchases, the industry really cannot afford to have another 
major or any any major shipping disruptions. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ashton. I had a little bit of a follow-up news to the Hurricane Delta as well. As you mentioned there, it seems ports are back open, so that is good for our export business. Unfortunately, though, farmers did not really seem to catch a break because they are still continuing to get quite a bit of rainfall. Throughout the Delta region, we've seen anywhere from three to six inches of rain here over the last couple of days. Cotton balls or cotton balls, excuse me, are open and highly susceptible to water and wind damage at this time. So that could be a pretty, you know, unfortunate factor, but bullish for the cotton markets overall. And on the flip side of that, you know, just uh, harvest in general. Uh, that's a big, you know, sorghum, soybean, cotton area throughout the Delta, especially in Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, that area. And so some counties and parts of those states are having some problems getting the crop out. So we've seen even rice, actually, I should mention, too, in some of those parts. But as of pre Hurricane Delta, we did see in Arkansas alone about 86% of the state's corn acreage had been harvested. Uh, so still a little behind the five-year average, but thankfully most producers, it sounds like, were able to get quite a bit of that crop, at least on the corn and soybean side of things, out uh, before Hurricane Delta hit hard. Absolutely, Delaney. And like you said, with it being Columbus Day, kind of a slower news day today. So this is the only other story that I have to share with our listeners. But the Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy unveiled its Net Zero Initiative, an industry-wide effort that will help U.S. dairy farms of all sizes and geographies implement new technologies and adopt economically viable practices with the goal of being carbon neutral or better by 2050. The initiative is also part of U.S. Dairy's environmental stewardship goals to optimize water usage and improve water quality through manure management. The Innovation Center for U.S. Dairy also announced a key milestone, an up to $10 million commitment and multi-year partnership with Nestle to support the Net Zero Initiative. The U.S. Dairy Industry's 2020 environmental stewardship goals are become carbon neutral or better, as I said, optimize water use while maximizing recycling and improve water quality by optimizing utilization of manure and nutrients. So I'm excited to see this partnership with Nestle. It, Nestle is the first of what the U.S. Dairy community hopes will be many partnerships joining the Net Zero Initiative, contributing funding and expertise to help propel the entire industry's progress towards a more sustainable future. And so it was definitely a little bit of exciting news to hear on this Monday. Do you yeah, have I think isn't today a National Farmers Day as well, Ashton? Yes, it certainly is, Delaney. Okay, I thought so. And I think, too, I've seen on social media a little bit, I think this week might be also a celebration of 4-H week. So that's all very fitting. But I had just one other more serious piece of news for today. Continuing to watch the African swine fever develop in Germany, specifically Eastern Germany. We saw 10 more cases of ASF confirmed in wild boars in the eastern part of the country as of Monday. So that now brings the total number of confirmed cases to 65 as of September 10th. So good news is it's still in wild animals. No farm pigs affected yet. 
Well, Delaney, you know, we have been keeping an eye out on that story for quite some time and the numbers keep rising, but I am glad to hear that there's still no farm animals that have been affected. Thankfully, not yet. But what do you say, Ashton? Should we uh, rip this Band-Aid off and talk commodity markets? Let's do it, Delaney. Well, as I mentioned, we saw the funds step in here. We saw some not so not so friendly news coming out of South America with some rains developing down there, helping out their crop that was just planted and going into the ground. And definitely soybeans were the biggest loser today. Starting off here, though, with the December corn contract down six cents to close at 389 and 389 even. The March down five and a half to close at 396 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, November giving up 31 and three quarters cent to close at 1033 and three quarters. The January down 29 to close at 1036 and three quarters. Chicago wheat pits, December adding a half a cent today to close at 599 and 594, excuse me, and a quarter. The March unchanged on the day to close at 597 and three quarters. Livestock pulled back today as the October live cattle contract shed a dollar fifty two to close at one oh eight thirty five the December down a dollar seventy seven to close at one ten eighty two and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, mixed trading today is the October contract giving up ninety five cents schools at one thirty seven thirty the November adding just two pennies to close at 135.55. Lean hogs also saw some mixed trading today as the October contract added a dime, excuse me, added a nickel to close at 78.17. The December pulling back 50 cents to close at 66.62 and a half. And running out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures green across the screen as the October Contract added 26 cents to close at 21.17. The November adding 67 cents to close at 20.40. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, for today's Hashtag Market Monday discussion, we've got Darren Newsom on of Darren Newsom Analysis today. And Darren, I think the markets must have known we were talking to you today because they ended in the red quite uh, substantially. Yeah, you know, it's a, I guess it's as good a day as any to have me on when the, when markets crash. That, that, that seems to be, a, you know, like I said, it's as good a time as any. Well, I mean, give it to us straight here. You know, in particular, the soybean markets, Mm -hmm. uh, front month contract dropped pretty heavily on the day down 31 and uh, Mm -hmm. three quarters cent. What's going on there? Is it just a reaction after all this bullishness we've seen in the soybean markets? Not really. Um, In fact, you know, we we saw hints of this. And one of the things I talked about uh, Friday and then over the weekend is that we saw hints of this at Friday's close where, you know, post silliness, in other words, post USDA, we saw future spreads just go, we just saw them go berserk for a little while. We saw the, the, we saw the Dece July, I believe is uh, go out to something like 41 cents inverse uh, in the soybean spread and then give back, you know, 10, 15 cents of that at the close. And so what that warned us of is that there was some commercial selling heading into the weekend. It was raining in Brazil. There was I, there was forecasted that the weather patterns could be changing. And so we saw the commercial selling going into the weekend. And then we see the, the, the commitment to traders report, which were as of the previous Tuesday, showing the non-commercial traders had built up this enormous net long futures position. So we went into the weekend with commercial selling. We went into the weekend with non-commercials holding a huge not, uh, long futures position. We come out of the weekend, commercials are still selling, 
And what that creates is a rush to the exit by the non-commercial side. So it'll be interesting to see what trade volume was today. It'll be interesting to see what open interest does today. Uh, but it looked to me like, you know, we've clearly run out of buying. Uh, everyone who wanted to buy so far had bought. And what we had today was continued commercial pressure leading to a stampede for the exit door on the non-commercial side. And that's what we were left with, with the 30 some cent sell off. I mean, you look at the chart and it's, I mean, oh, 31 cents, that's a lot for one day, but it, the charts really don't look, the November chart doesn't really look that bad. Is, is there any reason that to indicate to you, Darren, that uh, this is just like a day or two day thing and that we will continue moving to the upside? Well, you know, one of the things that I like to always say is one day does not a trend make, and that certainly fits this case as well. Now, did we see... <laughs> Some technical damage done short term on on the daily chart, sure. Weekly chart, yeah, we we've got a long way to go uh, when we consider you know what's happened on the on the weekly chart over the last ten days or so, the previous ten days. Uh, you know, the real key, the, the you know, from a technical point of view, is is not what happened today, but what happens the next couple of days. What do we see the funds do tomorrow? What does basis do? National average basis do Monday afternoon? You know, these are the things that are going to drive this market. If all of a sudden the commercial side steps back in and starts buying, non-commercial is going to slow their selling. On the other hand, if by Tuesday morning we see not, we see commercials continuing to sell, I think you need to see more bailing out. And, and you know, with no one willing to buy at this point, that could lead to another sharp sell-off. So, you know, it's all going to depend on the next couple of days. And it's really going to and, and much of what's going to happen is going to be decided by how the commercials uh, play the next couple of sessions. Darren, I know when we've had you on the podcast before, one of the things we've talked about, especially on the swing side of things, is Chinese demand and the fact that China was promising to make shipments or make purchases, but, you know, was saving those for this marketing year that we've started as of September. So... Has that changed for you at all, your outlook on that? <laughs> no. Phase one deal still a myth, was a myth, has been a myth, always will be a myth. It didn't really exist. It made for nice headlines, though, and got a lot of people excited and a lot of people you know, screaming about how China was going to save all our markets, even though we were in a trade war. The, what we've seen is China has done a great deal of buying over the last couple of months. But we have to think about why. Why were they buying? Number one, they ran Brazil out of available supplies. Brazil had record exports over the last, what, six, nine months, something like that, all due to the trade war because China wasn't buying anything from the United States. So they basically emptied Brazil out. So now that we're waiting for Brazil's next crop, yes, they're buying from the United States, the U.S., dollar was cheap. Uh, so it made uh, our, our secondary supplies to China look that much more attractive. So they started doing some buying. They've been doing some shipping, again, because Brazil has no soybeans. But this rain in Brazil, if it continues, it, maybe this was just a one-off event where we were, it saw some rain. But if the weather pattern continues, and if China gets more comfortable with Brazilian production, we're not going to sell that many more soybeans. And they're going to move maybe what they've bought between now and when when Brazilian beans are available, but that's not going to really increase our export demand over you know year to year. So we're a secondary supplier. People have to realize, given the situation that we've got ourselves in, we are a secondary supplier to China. That's all we are. And the only thing that's going to change that is an extended weather problem in Brazil. Could it still happen? Absolutely. 
That's why the weather is key. That's why what's going on in Brazil weather-wise is so important as to whether or not we continue to make sales or if those sales start to slow and all we're left with now is the shipments. And I want to switch tracks here and talk a little bit more about the corn market. I know you are a seasonal guy or a patterns guy. You follow and chart the five and 10 year patterns. And the thing about this year is we've seen a lot of counter seasonal rallies. Usually this is the time of year when we should see depressed prices for corn and soybeans. And we're seeing the opposite. What's your take when you look at the December corn contract? Yeah, a lot of times you know, we, we do see some you know, some late September, early October rallies. But the number one thing that a contra-seasonal rally tells us is that there's something different fundamentally. That means there's, there's something going on that isn't normal fundamentally. That's why I like to look at the, at the four-year pattern in corn right now, which does show an uptrend because we actually have similar uh, supply and demand to what we've seen over the, the previous four marketing years. And that is USDA continues to overestimate U.S. stocks. We don't have what everyone says we have. We don't have what's being reported. The market is telling us that it's not there. And so the fact that we've got the market moving up means that U.S. producers are putting it away in storage, putting newly harvested bushels away in storage, and we don't have the leftover stocks that everyone's talking about. So basis stays strong, future spreads stay bullish, and the market's able to work higher. And it just clicks off, you know, it just tests its, uh, its round number resistance when it falls back a little bit, then makes its next run. So that's the pattern that we're caught in. That's not the caught in, but that's the pattern that we're in right now is just Supply and demand is more bullish than what everyone believes. Basis, future spreads are telling us that. And the market's acting accordingly by, by going up, testing around numbers, falling back, and then moving ahead. So is Darren Newsom bullish to corn? You know, I've been, <laughs> I've been more bullish corn than I have beans for, you know, basically over the last year. Uh, and yes, beans went to an inverted spread, but I, uh, the way the corn market is structured with still some small carry, as far as the eye can see, it's a more manageable, it's a more sustainable type of bullish market structure than this short-term inverted market that we see in soybeans, which, you know, the, the downside of that or the flip side of that is when it starts to collapse, which could be, you know, where we're at right now. So am I bullish corn? I'd say, okay, if, 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 if I had to guess bullish or bearish, if I had to say bullish or bearish, I'd say, yes, I'm still bullish corn. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good headline. Maybe we should use that as a, today's tweet from the podcast. But Darren, when you look at the wheat markets, mm -hmm. you know, they have seen some inclement weather, not here in the United States, but in other parts of the world that uh, seemed be supportive for wheat markets short term. But then we also see, you know, we've seen some mixed trading amongst the different wheat complexes. What's going on there? Yeah, that's, you know, that was the, that was the million dollar question the last couple of weeks is why is wheat so bullish? Um, and it really wasn't any good reason. I mean, yeah, okay, it's dry over in the Black Sea region. That happens sometimes. You know, it's dry in Argentina. That happens as well. We have the low, we have a low U.S. dollar. You know, that helps to support wheat. But we haven't seen this groundswell of support. You know, we're making all these sales. We're making all these shipments. You know, we're, we're holding together, but we're not doing anything great as far as demand right now. And, you know, if we run the numbers on it from what I'm looking at, we still have you know, ending stocks to use or monthly stocks to use 47, 48%, which is very high. 
certainly not a, a bullish situation, certainly not a, you know, tightening supply and demand situation. So, you know, we, we've seen a huge rally in wheat. And and the one concern that I have is that it's probably outdistanced itself for right now. And again, what that it leaves this vacuum. And I'm always talking about vacuum trades, you know, either above or underneath the market. And at wheat, it certainly looks like to be underneath the market. Now, we do have to watch what's going on in the Southern Plains. It's very dry there, but it's almost always dry there. I talked to a gentleman this morning from Southwest Kansas, and it just hasn't rained in forever. And then they had the high winds go through yesterday. And so they had dust storms and, you know, dirt blowing everywhere. So we really, we need to keep an eye on that situation as we head into dormancy, as we head into, you know, through the fall and into winter, it could play a role. It's just too early for it to play a role. Everyone wants to kill the wheat crop, you know, the hardwood winter wheat crop, and it's just way too early for that. Now markets had a nice rally. We can reward that with some sales. You know, folks are comfortable with what they might produce next year, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things going on in the wheat market, but the bottom line is the world's not running out of wheat anytime soon. No, definitely not. I, I think that's always a common theme when we talk mm-hmm. wheat, but they're not because I know you follow the oil markets pretty closely as well. Bring us up to speed on how this latest hurricane Delta is impacting you know, ports down in that part of the country as well as oil production. Well, we saw the oil prices spike for the last couple of weeks as the next as the latest round of of uh, as the latest round of, of uh, hurricanes moved through. I think the latest one was what Hurricane Delta or something like that. Uh, basically, followed the path of Laura from uh, from a month month and a half ago. You know, technically, if I if I'm looking at the if I'm looking at the crude oil chart, I, I see it coming down. You know, so the bigger picture here is that I think we can start to paint, you know, the, or, or start to create the idea that commodities as a whole are probably overvalued in here. The U.S. dollar is going to go up and commodities could start to come down. And when I'm, you know, when we're looking at commodities, we can look at the big three with gold, which already looks to have topped out corn, which I think still has some ways to go and crude oil, which I think is in the process of topping out. So, you know, we've got some markets that are starting to show some, some bearishness here. Crude oil, certainly one of them. And as we head into the wintertime, you know, again, Driving demand and, and, and demand for crude oil as a whole has been down in 2020, and they're sick. And most uh, most analysts are saying that it's not going to come back in 21. So that could pull the market down over the course of winter. And if that happens, I still think that we're over. Even though we're only in you know where we are in the crude oil market, I think it's still. I still think it's overvalued at this point. Needs to break down some more, uh, and then we head into the winter. Then we see what next year brings. Darren, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can get some more Darren Newsom if they'd uh, like to read more or talk more about some of your thoughts on the markets. Two easiest ways to get a hold of me are one, to shine the big fat bear light into the sky and like Batman, I will respond. Or if you don't have a big fat bear light, uh, strobe light that you can shoot into the air, go to go to DarrenNewsom.com. There you can go to the services page, sign up for a free trial see what, you know, then you can take a look at everything we do, everything we talk about in the commentary and the analysis uh, and see if, you know, then just kind of follow along. And uh, if it's something you're interested in, we can certainly, you know, get you set up for, uh, for whatever program you'd like to, to use on our site. Awesome. Well, Darren, thanks for chatting market today. Always fun to have you on. I appreciate you having me on again, Delaney. Well, Delaney, it certainly is always fun to sit and listen to you guys talking markets, especially with Darren. I feel like he always has a strong opinion and he adds a little bit of comedy, I would say. 
He certainly does. He likes to keep things exciting when talking markets. That's for sure. Certainly, certainly is true. And we are always having exciting guests on the Ag News Daily podcast, which you can follow on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.